you know, there's something very special and just significant that happens in the spiritual realm and in the heart of a believer and in the mind of a believer that, that rather than focusing, which we're so prone to do, and I, I've been prone to do this, I have to really purpose in my heart to shift my focus off of my problems and to begin to cast my glance upon my great God. And I begin to look upon him. There's something that's powerful that happens. The scripture says that God then inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. That he inhabits those praises. That he comes and dwells among us as we choose to praise him in spite of our circumstances. And aren't you so thankful that we can even stand before God and that we can enter into the Holy of Holies and come before him. And it's, we just saying it's, it's by his grace on which we can even have right standing with God. It's not on how religious we can be. That's what we've been learning, that it's not about our outward religious activity. It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's not about how often you come to church or don't come to church or doing this or doing that. It's based upon knowing Jesus Christ and being in right relationship with Christ through his grace that comes by faith in Jesus Christ, by his grace on which we stand. So this week I was texting Danny and I was texting him about uh, this song, Your Grace on Which I Stand. Has anybody in here ever been an unfortunate victim of circumstance when it comes to um, an autocorrect on a text that you sent somebody? And I know my brother-in-law has because I've, I've laughed with him about some of his. Where you send something and it autocorrects and you send it and you didn't even realize that you sent it. Has anybody else experienced that? Okay. Autocorrect. All right. You're like, how did that even come up? All right. So I sent Danny this text this week that says something about your grace on which I stand. We were talking about the service and my phone changed it from your grace on which I stand to your grave on which I stand. Okay. And I'm like, Danny probably got that. And he was like, man, I don't know that song, Bart. I don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, that sounds incredibly bitter. Okay. Um, your grave on which I stand, you know, and I stand and I shake my fist. And so we saw that and we laughed about that or whatever, but Obviously, Siri has some bitterness issues that need to be dealt with, okay? And here is the thing, though. The reality is that, is that you know, we kind of laugh about that, but here is the truth. If we're going to get gut-level honest with God today, and I hope that you want to do that, and you want, you want Him to move in your life, and you want that peace of God in your life and joy, you want the strength that He's actively seeking to bring to, to those whose hearts are fully committed to Him, you're actively see, He's seeking to, to deliver that strength to you today. Here is the bottom line, is that, is that there may be some of us who need to deal with some relationship issues that aren't right. Because that is one of the biggest areas that we struggle in that is often robbing us of the peace of God in our life. And Paul's going to get right into that in chapter 4. He doesn't waste any time. He says, I want you, my brothers and sisters, to stand firm thus in the Lord or in this way. And then he's going to go right into what they need to do in order to stand firm. And he's going to say, first, you need to strive for relational peace. You're going to have to strive for relational peace. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to cultivate it. You're going to have to reflect upon the kind of grace that you have received from God. We've been learning that some of the great joy robbers and peace robbers in our life are our plans failing. So when things don't work out for you, when your circumstances aren't quite the way you would want them to be, um, or when possessions fail you or whatever, you're struggling there. And then we've learned another big one is this, is that when we have people problems. 
when people problems are existing in our life and that, and that robs us often of our peace. And so look at what he's going to say in striving for relational peace. Paul says, if you want to have that same kind of peace that I have, and you need to know that Paul had been deeply hurt by some people. Paul experienced a lot of pain in his life. Paul had people that were Christian people that questioned him and that came against him sometimes and kicked him when he was down and some deserted him and and that's why you, you also are, are going to, if you want that peace, you're going to have to be an active peacemaker. That's why Jesus would say things like, blessed are the what? Peacemakers, okay? That word blessed is the word makarios. It actually means happy are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are doing their part, striving for relational peace. And you say, well, I can't do anything about that other person. You're absolutely right. All you can do is your part in this. Look at what Paul would say. He's going to call it out here. There was some kind of strife going on in in their church that was robbing people of peace and joy. And he says in verse 2, Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord. Read it with me out loud. What does he say? Settle your disagreement. Settle your disagreement. I don't know what these ladies were disagreeing upon. I don't know what the conflict was about that had happened, but it was of the nature that Paul felt like he needed to confront it publicly. And that's what he did. I don't know if Euodia was a diehard Packers fan and maybe Syntyche was pulling for the Cowboys. I don't know, okay? We don't know exactly what was, what was going on, but it was causing discord among them and disharmony in their church. And, and I want you to see, he says, and I'm gonna, he's going to call to them and make an appeal to them to get right with each other. And then he's going to also speak to the other Christians who are in that fellowship and call them to be peacemakers. And I ask you, my true partner to do what? To help these two women. For they worked hard with me telling others the good news. All right. So they've been about promoting the gospel of peace. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, it says this, whose names are written in the book of life. So what do we learn about this? We learn that they were good Christian women. They were very active in their church and somehow they got crossways. And he's not saying that you're going to agree with every single thing that everybody says and that you, you have to agree upon every single He's just saying, stop being disagreeable. He's saying, stop, whatever's caused conflict amongst you, you need to work at, at settling your agreement because you're both in Jesus Christ. So Paul, what does he do? Man, this is big, guys. He calls them out by name. I mean, can you imagine if we did that every time somebody kind of got crossways in our church? And that happens in every church. People are people and we all have different ideas and different. And, and, but Paul, can you imagine whenever they came to Paul and he's in his prison cell and he's there and they came to him and either Timothy or Epaphroditus or one of these guys comes to him and he's like, so how are things going in Philippi? You know, uh, and, and they're like, things are going great. And well, how are things going with Euodia? And, and you know, and or what about syndicate? What, well, there's kind of something going on between them. Can you imagine how that must have, as he's in prison, in chains, can you imagine how that must have grieved his heart at that moment? Let me ask you this. Can you imagine how it must grieve God's heart for his, his children when they are at odds with one another? It's kind of like those of you who are parents and whenever your kids fight, you know, it might annoy you, okay, But more than anything, it hurts, doesn't it? 
it grieves our hearts because we love those individuals. We want them to be right with each other. We want things. And this is what's going on. And, and so, so he, he writes this letter to them. And now you need to know that these letters, when they were written, they were read publicly. It wasn't like, hey, just hand this off to Yodi and let her read it privately. They gathered as a church. They would stand up. Whoever it would be, one of the elders would stand and read one of Paul's letters to them. And they would respond. And so there was feedback. And they might laugh about what Paul was saying here. They might cry about what he's saying here. And don't you imagine whoever was about to read this portion right here was like, had to take a big gulp. And, uh, and he says, and Yodia... And Syntyche, maybe they were going, oh, my name was just mentioned. I, he may be about to give me a shout out or something like that. What, oh, he's giving you a shout out, all right? He says to you two, will you please just get along? <laughs> wow. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Whenever you look at this, here is, here's why Paul brings this up. Because he knows that if they want the kind of peace that he has, there is nothing that will rob you of peace and joy faster than when, when you have broken relationships. It saps you of that peace. It robs you of that. And, or, and he's going to say not only to these ladies that they should strive towards making things right, he's also going to speak to the rest of the congregation and say, you need to cover offenses. You need to help them. You, you don't need to fuel the fire. You don't need to be talking about it. You don't need to be gossiping. What he's saying is help them. And it doesn't help whenever you're promoting and you're passing along information like stolen goods and gossiping. And he's like, he said, no, help these ladies to forgive each other and to move forward. That's what he's saying. And Resentment and grudges. Why does Paul want us to deal with this in our lives? Because he knows that resentment and grudges will make us absolutely miserable. I've known some people in my life, and I've watched some people who have passed away that I've known in my life who died very miserable and very bitter people. And there was a root of bitterness that grew in their life that they could never get past. And they lived their entire lives miserable. And it was the way that they lived. And it's heartbreaking. Resentment always hurts you. Listen to me, church. Resentment always hurts you more than it does the person you are resentful towards. I heard another pastor put it this way. He said, it's like resentment and bitterness is like you drinking poison and hoping that that's going to do something to that person. That's what it's like. That resonated with me. I'm like, that's right. When I'm bitter towards somebody, I'm hurting myself. I'm, I'm causing pain in my life when I hold on to resentment and it always hurts. Now, let me tell you some things that forgiveness is not because when you start talking about forgiveness, man, it gets, it gets touchy with people, okay? And for, for good reason because some of you have really deeply been hurt and it's legit. You've legitimately gone through some pain. Someone has really hurt you. Maybe it's someone in your past or the, here's the thing. Those in your past cannot continue to hurt you now Unless you let them. And the way that you let them is by continuing to fester a bitterness in your heart towards them. And then, you see, it it doesn't change the past. Bitterness doesn't change the past. Holding on to resentment doesn't change the past. All it does is mess up the, the present, right? It messes up where you're at right now. Forgiveness is not a feeling, okay? Because you may be thinking, well, I've got to get to a place where I'm going to feel that, and then I'll get around to it. Forgiveness is not a feeling because if you're anything like me, you're not going to feel like forgiving. You won't feel that. Forgiveness is a choice. It's something that you choose to do. 
for your own sake, for your own good, not because they deserve it, because they don't, but because you choose to let that go because it's making you miserable. Holding on to that, again, it's that drinking that poison. And a lot of times a person that we are resentful towards or we are bitter towards, in many cases they are either indifferent, which means they do not care that you're bitter towards them, or they're oblivious and they do not know. And so it's really kind of a waste of energy, isn't it? It's a waste of our time. So you say, well, they, they won't make things right with me. I want to be right with them. And, and, and listen, you can't make a person be right with you. All you can do is your part. And this is what he says. Paul would write in Romans, do all that you can to live in peace with, what does it say? Everyone. Do all that you can. Not Worry about what they need to do also. You do what you can, Paul says. Be a peacemaker. That's your part. He's trying to help them be spiritually stable. He's trying to help them have peace and joy. What he's saying is, if you want that same kind of peace that I have that unflinches in the face of death, the peace that passes understanding, he said, you're going to have to deal with some bitterness in your lives. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is, is, is not... Um, it doesn't say there wasn't a wrong that was done. There was a wrong. It's acknowledging that there was a wrong. It's acknowledging that someone has hurt you. It's acknowledging that maybe you've been betrayed. It's acknowledging that, yes, you are owed something because when we're bitter and angry towards someone, what we're internally saying is that you owe me. And what did Jesus say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you hear the way when you're praying that you're saying, Lord, forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me the same way that I forgive people around me. We better be careful with that, right? Your grace. Think about that song we just sang. Your grace by which I stand. We have Firm standing before God, not because of what we can do, not because we're owed that. We're certainly not owed that, right? It's by His grace. Forgiveness doesn't mean weakness. I would suggest that when you choose to forgive, that is an act of great strength and great courage, that when you choose to forgive, it doesn't mean weakness. There's strength. Forgiveness doesn't mean that everything automatically goes back to the way that it was once in the relationship. What forgiveness ultimately is, is you making a choice to release that person of the debt that is owed to you. In the same manner that your debt was released when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The debt is being forgiven. The debt is released. It doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with them again. You might, but you might not. What it does is you're releasing that before God. You say, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. It's, all it's doing is hurting me. He's going to go on. And so here's the application. I want you to be, begin contemplating. I probably, as soon as I started talking about it, you probably had a name come to mind. There's something for some of you that maybe you're struggling. Some of you maybe not, and that's good. You can pray for others because I want to tell you, there's some people who have been deeply hurt by other people in here today. And this has been the greatest robber of joy in their life, maybe for the entirety of their life. And maybe today is the day that God 
wants to set them free of that. So you can begin praying right now for them. I want you to begin contemplating, is there somebody that I'm holding a grudge against? Is there somebody that I have become bitter towards? Begin thinking about that and asking God to begin showing you. And we're going to take that to God in prayer in just a moment. Paul says next, a key in standing firm and having God's peace is to cultivate a heart of joy. Now, what's really interesting is you cultivate that heart of joy in the Lord. It's in the Lord. Look at the next verse. In verse 4, he says, and it's in the Lord. Always be full of joy, he says, what? In the Lord. I say it again. Say it with me. I say it again. Rejoice. So what we've been learning, and I won't belabor this point, but what we've been learning is that that joy is something that's produced inside of us as we are in Jesus Christ. And we actually contemplate and recognize the privilege and the permanent union that we have with God. Paul is saying, when you actually consider how it is that you are in Jesus Christ by his grace, that produces a peace and joy in your life. Something begins to happen. It's a key. And then he's going to say this is another key to having God's peace as we are to stay humble before God and others. And so verse 5, he says this next. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. This word considerate, it also translates gentleness. It also can mean the ideas that there's humility in your life in dealing with others and in dealing in your dealings with God. There's a humility in your life. Chapter 2 of Philippians, he talks extensively about, about humility and having the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And, and, and listen, it's the idea of this that you expect nothing and you demand nothing. Because of your, your standing before God. You expect nothing and demand nothing. And, and if you expect nothing and demand nothing, and if we rightly assess our own sinfulness and know that we really, if we're honest, we really deserve nothing, then when we maybe get nothing, we're not so angry, right? Because we realize anything that I really have is a gift of God anyway. You see, it's a shifting of perspective. If I wrongly assess my worthiness and I assume that I am worthy on my own and I assume that I am owed much and and in essence, when that bitterness begins to happen in our, our thoughts towards God or whatever, it's because we're in essence saying not to another person you owe me, we're saying to God, you owe me. I deserve better than this. You see, when you stay humble before God and before people, what Paul is saying, remember, anything you have is because of God's mercy and his grace. And you know what that takes? That takes a humility before God. So here's what we're going to do. You've just gotten some points. Now what we're going to do is we're going to put it into practice. So I want to invite you just to bow your heads with me in prayer. And we're going to have a season of prayer before the Lord right now. And I want to begin, I want to ask you just to begin to invite God to speak into your life. Would you begin just to humble yourself before the Lord and recognize him in his holiness? You know, a very important part of worship is confession. I think of Isaiah. When Isaiah entered into the temple, it says that he saw God for who he was and the splendor of his holiness. 
And it says that he confessed before God, I am ruined. He was humbled before God when he saw and looked upon the greatness of God. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And so what began to happen was he was confessing before God. You know, a very important part of our prayer and our worship is confession. And here is the beautiful thing, beloved. Paul calls the church beloved. Jesus calls you beloved. The beautiful thing is this. You don't need me to confess to God. You don't need a man. Because of Jesus and his blood, you now have direct access to enter into the holy of holies. Amen? Right now. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You have a high priest and his name is Jesus. So would you just begin as an act of confession. Begin to confess if there's sin that maybe has rooted in your life. That takes humility. I think of David in Psalm 51 where he had sinned greatly. And it's a it's a song, it's a song of confession before God. And then at the end of that psalm where he confesses his sin and he, he gets right with God, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Maybe the joy has been gone because there's been some unconfessed sin. Maybe the peace has been absent because you've been, you've been holding on to something that God's been wanting you to let go of before him. Would you just begin to confess that to him? Has there been an area of compromise? Has there been a, a bitterness that you've been holding towards another person? Jesus says, take into consideration of how much he's forgiven you and what that cost him. See, when I confess, I don't have to reestablish the relationship. Once I'm in Jesus Christ, I'm in Jesus Christ. What this is about is restoring broken fellowship. God begins to restore that. It's where I come to him and I say, Father, I've been wrong about this. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. What has it been for you? Maybe it's been your mouth that's been out of control. Maybe it's been gossip. Maybe there's been some sexual impurity. That's what it was with David, along with malice. Maybe there's a hatred you've been holding in your heart towards a person. Maybe you've been unethical in your job and you cheated someone. Confess that to God. And you need to make restitution if possible. Lord, would you show us how our sins can become idols in our lives? We confess these things before you today and we seek your cleansing. And I thank you for the truth of your word that tells us and you spoke to Christians when you said this, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from every 
wrong. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that cleanses us. We receive and actualize that forgiveness in our life today. And in the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Now I want you to see what Paul is going to do next. Paul is going to say next that we've got to begin to shift our mindset from fear and our anxieties and whatever it is that you were troubled about, often there's fear rooted in that. And that's a, that's a human response. And we've got to begin to move from fear to faith in God. And he's going to say the way you do that is you go to God in prayer. So when you start feeling anxious about whatever it is you're feeling anxious, you need to go immediately to God at that moment and begin to do these things that Paul's going to show us. In verse 5, he's going to say this, and I think it's very interesting, the first word. It is what? What does it say? Remember. Why do you think he has to say remember? We forget. Bingo. We forget. We take our eyes off the Lord and who he is and what he's done and we forget. And he says, remember this, the Lord is coming soon. And now I want you to read the next part with me out loud. Say it out loud. What does it say? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. What does anything and everything mean? Exactly what they say, right? Whatever you brought in here this morning is included in that anything and everything. Whatever it is that you're struggling with is included in that. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. He said, how can we do that? Let me tell you what he's trying to move us to and provide spiritual stability. He's trying to give us perspective. And he says this. He says, remember, the Lord is near. He's coming soon is what it says. Another way that translates is this, is that he is near. What it means is he is present. Not only is he coming soon and all of this will pass away in this temporal world in which we live now, not only that, but he is very near and very close to whatever it is you're dealing with right now. There's kind of a twofold purpose in this. It's, it's in terms of his presence spatially, so to speak, if you want to think of his closeness to you right now. Because he is near, we need not be anxious for anything. It's predicated on a confident faith in the Lord, and that's the bottom line. Hope and I were talking about this a little bit this week. And we were saying this. Isn't it interesting? This is very true, that the, the way that we handle our problems really is this, is in, in our response to our problems, our response, our outward response to our problems and our difficulties, what it really is, is it is a very accurate reflection of what our view really is of God. That if we are always panicked and always worried and lacking joy, then it's really, it says more about what we really think about our God than it really does about our circumstances even. In essence, what we're saying is, God, the promises you've made to me, you're, they're not really true. The, 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 your power must not really be true. Your ability to be sovereign and who you are and your sovereignty over everything, that must really not be true. I heard another guy put it this way. In essence, a lot of Christians live as practical atheists. Otherwise, they don't really believe what they say they believe about their all-powerful and all-loving God. It's funny, as I was working on this passage this week, and I was working on it, something kind of happened that, that automatically brought some fear. I got some bad news about something that brought some fear to me, and I started feeling that fear creeping in while I was working on this passage about not worrying. And I could feel it creeping in, and I was like, what? wait a minute. 
that fear started creeping in. And I'm like, I, I need to stop right now. And I need to do exactly what this says I need to do. I need to take it to God right now. And I need a new perspective. I need to begin seeing God for who God is. And, and I heard another pastor say this, God never panics. He's not panicked about the problems that you brought in here today. He's not up there going, what am I going to do about Bart's problem? What am I going to do about fixing this? As if God's pacing around heaven and the angels are going, God, it's going to be okay. Like they're trying to comfort him. God's not panicked. He works in every and all situations. And when you believe that he is not only sovereign and you believe that he is also all loving, then you can say things and believe things like what Paul said, that God works for the good. And he doesn't say everything's good, but he works in all circumstances for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You see, what we're saying is that God can even work in my problems. And it changes our perspective. It changes our perspective. Jesus said these words, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Isn't that the truth? So stop worrying about tomorrow. Jesus said that, not me. He's telling us, when you're worrying, what you're in essence doing is you're allowing fear to dominate your life. What did Paul also write about fear? He says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us, he's given us the the spirit of power and love and a sound mind rather than a fearful mind. So it's a perspective change. It's a perspective change. That's why Paul could write things like this. If God is for us, then who can really be against us? Amen? Do you really believe that? Whom shall I fear? So what is it that you're worried about today? I want to invite you just to join me in another season of prayer. And so will you just bow your heads and and your hearts before the Lord? And let me ask you just very directly, what are you worried about? Is there something that you are worried about today? Here's what I want to encourage you to begin doing right now is praising God for who he is. I want you to begin thinking about your all-powerful, all-loving Father. Jesus said that's how we should start our prayer is our Father. We begin to think about who he is very purposefully, beloved. Begin to take your eyes off of your problems and release them to God right now. Begin to purposefully fix your eyes on our great God. Praise Him for His power right now in your heart. Praise Him for His closeness. Do not worry about anything, He says, for the Lord is near. Praise him that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise him that Paul wrote words like this, that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, not even our problems, not even life or death, principalities, angels or demons. What do we have to fear? 
Lord, we've been worried about something, Lord. It's most likely because we have forgotten about who you really are and that there is nothing too great for you. And you are all-powerful, God, and you are all-loving. And Lord, we as your body today, we praise you and we know that you inhabit those praises. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to invite you now to stand with me. Let's stand back before God now in a posture, still in prayer, but stand with me now and make this song a song of your praise. I want you to think about the words that you're saying. Release those anxieties before God. Praise him for who he is. Let's sing these words back to God today. There's power in praise, amen? Go ahead and sit down one more time. Paul continues and he says this. He says this peace that he wants you to have, it's going to come through an attitude of thanksgiving. So we begin to give thanks to God and present our requests. So we, we continue in prayer and now we're giving thanks. We've confessed before him and we acknowledge him for who he is. We praise him for who he is. And now we're giving thanks. Look at what he says in verse six. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about, and aren't you glad that this means everything? That's your big problems as well as your little problems. You can bring anything to him. Amen. He cares about every aspect of your life. Pray about everything. Look at what he says. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all that he has done. You surround it in praise and you surround it in thanksgiving. Now that you have proper perspective of who God is, now you begin to bring your needs to him. He's saying we we praise him with this attitude. You know, I think of Paul sitting in that prison cell, could have become very angry again, could have become bitter towards people, could have become bitter towards God. But instead, what do we know about Paul was that he continued to give thanks to God in everything. You know, it is a great sacrifice when you give thanks to God. It's more pleasing to him than than anything that we can do when we thank him for, for how he's blessed us. Even thanking him, and this is maybe the most difficult thing, thanking him in the midst of a difficult situation. Because I'm still going to thank God. I'm going to thank him. I surround it in in praise and it immediately releases me from fear and worry because I see that God has purpose in even my problems. God never wastes my pain. Amen. He never wastes a problem in my life. He's always using it to make me more like Jesus. So here's what we want to do. As you've been bringing your worries and your anxieties to God about whatever that may be, Would you just begin to give him thanks right now? Would you pray with me? Let's pray and let's just start thanking him. If you're a Christian, thank him for your salvation and the grace that you've experienced. Thank him for how he's always taken care of you. Thank him for how he has blessed you. And even if you're in the midst of a problem, would you as an act of sacrifice even thank him for problems that you have in your life, knowing that God can even work in those to make you more like Jesus. What are your needs? Tell God what you need. Notice he doesn't say what you want. 
what you need. And that is covered with thanksgiving. Father, we are thankful to you for your grace, for your provision, for your unconditional love for us. And may you receive this as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And it brings honor to you in Jesus' name. I want to ask you to stand with me and this will be the last time we stand as we leave here in a few moments. So stand with me and this is what I want to encourage you to do. Make this song, song of praise and thanksgiving before the Lord. And let's sing this to him. Look at what he's going to say that's going to happen, okay? As you offer your thanks and your praise and your this thanksgiving before God, look at what he says. In verse 7, look at the result. Then you will experience, what does it say? God's peace. Not man's peace. Not a manufactured peace. Not something that someone else can give you. God's peace, and watch what he's going to do, which exceeds anything we can even understand. His peace will do what? Guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That word guards, it's a military term. It's as if God is posting a soldier outside the the door of your heart, so to speak, in your mind that is guarding the peace that he has given you as you have have entered into this kind of praise and prayer before him. He guards your peace. He guards the peace that he's given you. So here is your choice as you leave here today. You can either pick all of these problems that are real problems back up and try to carry them yourself and carry them throughout the day and carry them in your week, allowing them to sap you of God's peace and joy and strength and all of that. Or you can continue to lay them down before him And you can do this, and this is what the result is. You can choose to rest in the peace that God offers you. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a pretty good deal, God's peace. Amen? And that's what he offers you. This, then, is the peace that passes understanding. We're going to close in this song. And it's a song that's one of the great hymns of our faith. And if you know the circumstances of the song, it's so powerful. We've talked about them before. We won't go in depth about it, but... The circumstances was that it was written by a name, a man named Horatio Spofford. And his family, he had experienced incredible loss. Again, not time to go into the whole story, but, but the loss that he experienced was devastating to his family. He lost members of his family. His family was, had gone on ahead of him on a ship to go on a, a vacation and he was going to join them later. And somewhere along the, the, uh, along the, their, their uh, ride in the boat there on the Atlantic, the ship sunk and his children that were on that, on that ship drowned. His wife was the only one that was saved of his family and she wrote a, a, a note back to him and it just said, saved alone. And he came to join his wife. And as he was venturing over there, contemplating all the loss and the grief in his life, he comes to the place most likely where his children had drowned in this place. And he pens these words. It is well with my soul. That doesn't even make sense in the human realm. Amen? 
doesn't even make sense. It's because he had a peace of God that transcends human understanding. And we're going to walk out of here with this song in our hearts that whatever happens in my life, God, you're in control and it is well with my soul. Let's sing this back to God. And Lord, that is our prayer as we conclude today, Father, that we would have that same kind of peace, Lord, that Spofford had. The same kind of peace that Paul had. Lord, a peace that passes understanding. May your peace rest upon this congregation. Lord, we live in a world that is so filled with chaos and brokenness and hurt and bitterness and strife. And Lord, what they need is they need Jesus Christ and they need to see him alive in us. And so Lord, no matter what our circumstances are, may we shine brightly for you. And may it be well with our soul because of the sovereignty and greatness of our God. And it is in his powerful and loving name that we pray, amen. Go in God's peace and in his grace today. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time.